Welcome to another Macquarie Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. I don't think anyone does gathering like Macquarie does gathering. I, I really mean that. I really mean that. You have a tremendous, tremendous, it's a privilege to be here. The way that gathering is so impactive and spiritually alive is a precious thing, powerful thing. I've been looking forward to coming. I'm sorry Helen can't be here. We're, we're moving her mum to, to our place and it's been quite a long drawn out process. She's 91 and uh, can't, can't stay by herself anymore. And uh, so that's a privilege for us to set all that up, which takes a lot to, to do for various reasons. And so apologies from Helen, but what a privilege to be here, to be, to be part of Macquarie, to be supported from Macquarie, and we praise God for, for that beautiful ongoing relationship. Have you ever noticed uh, how people walk when they're carrying something very valuable? If somebody's carrying something really precious, have you noticed how their walk really changes <laughs> and really matters? And you think, what are they carrying? Especially if it's like a, a, a very valuable thing. You see men with these massive big panes of glass and they're like <laughs> carrying it like this. I feel a bit that way this morning. I feel like I'm carrying something that's precious. I honestly say that. I feel a word from the Lord about our desire for the fire of the Holy Spirit in our own lives and in our church. And I sense that desire through the worship this morning. I sense how many of you really gathered into it and it's not only the beauty of the songs and the words and the music and the magnificent team who brings such worship to us. We, there's a call in our heart and um, I think what we're seeking is a move of God. Not only for ourselves but for our nation, for our city and our region. A move of God, a move of God's spirit. And honestly, no one comes to the Father unless the Spirit himself draws them in and, and does a work of his Holy Spirit. We could put on the best of everything, but it's the work of the Holy Spirit that uh, brings these things to pass. And the, the, the precious thing I feel that I'm carrying, uh, not only today, I've been over country towns in New, New South Wales now for weeks and going out to different towns. And here and there you find little pockets of people who are so hungry for God to move in their town. Just small towns, hungry for God to do something fresh. And you come and bring a word to them and it sparks something in them. It sets something off. And uh, so even last weekend I was out at a little town called Condobolin. Drove all the way out to Condobolin just to go and meet with a group of 40 people in a little church there and just start that fire in their hearts and to put fuel to that fire in their hearts because they have a town of three and a half thousand people and they are the only evangelical church in the whole town and there's only 40 of them and they have a passion for their region that God would come and move by his spirit and win people to himself. And that's the answer for their town. That's the answer for Newcastle and the, the Lower Hunter. It's why we're setting up in October a 2,000 seat tent in Maitland Showground. We're already training evangelist people. We're sending out ordinary people to go and begin the work of that. Desire for the fire of the Spirit of God because something wonderful is on its way. I'm, I'm carrying a message with me this morning. I'm carrying a message I feel from the Holy Spirit that something incredible is on its way. 
And when I say those words, it'll get different responses in your heart. But I want you to know it. I want you to hear it and to embrace it. Something wonderful, powerful, a move of God's spirit is on its way because we have a generation who have never seen a move of God. We have young people, we have people in their 40s who've never seen a move of God in their lifetime. They've faithfully followed the Lord and stayed with the Lord. But it's just, it's just this tragedy. Charles Finney said something really interesting. A great revivalist from around the early 1800s. He said, if the mighty presence of the Spirit of God is in the church, the church will draw the world in. If the mighty presence of the Spirit of God is not in the church, the world will draw the people out. And you know, that's exactly what happens. When we allow the Holy Spirit to be at work in the church, people come and are moved by the difference of something they've never seen before. It's not of this world, it's of the Spirit of God. But when that is not there, the world draws them back out. And that's why, I promise you, I promise you, my heart breaks because I, I desire this generation to see a move of the Spirit of God because you see kids who've come with their family to church their whole life and they go and get a job and they, they might have been through a Christian school, they go to university and we cannot hide the fact that we lose them. We lose them again and again and again. We lose them. It's because when the fire of God's Spirit is not at work in the church, the world draws them out. And why not? Because they see a more fancy thing. They see something more like, uh, wow, there's something out there I've never experienced. Well, I tell you what, there's something in here. There's something in here, in this place, in this house. There's something in here for young people to come and find Christ and find the power of God, just like I did when I was 17 years old. I tell you, the baptism of the Holy Spirit rescued me. The moving of the Holy Spirit where I was rescued me from that thing where I would have walked another way. So when we talk about desire for the fire of God, I study revival history, I love it. The Bible says the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises as some people understand slowness. Instead he is patient, not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance. That's an interesting thing. That's an interesting thing that that's what he wants and you, you wonder why, why not now? That's an interesting thing that he's patient for a thing that he wants to do. And he could do it now but often he doesn't. Why? Because he's got a, a, something that we need to look at here. And when I study revival history, which I do all the time, I see these four key things. Firstly, it always begins with prophetic voice. Always begins with God speaking. And we'll look at that. When the Lord speaks, it always initiates something. Always. The things that matter are initiated from the, from the word of God, what God is saying. The things that matter in the church are always initiated from something God is saying. It's always been that way from creation until now. It always starts with a word, a prophetic word coming. Secondly, when this is happening, like-minded people respond to it this is what always happens with a move of God's spirit or revival or times when you cannot build big enough tents and buildings to fit the people in which is the history of of the church the like-minded people respond with one heart one voice and they pray and seek God 
They find the secret place and they come into the secret place and they find themselves saying yes to what God's asking of them. And that's, that's just so powerful when that happens. The third thing that happens is God begins to restore his own people before he restores the world. He restores them out of their own brokenness first. And there is brokenness. There's brokenness in so many of us in different ways. Things we have in our life that we wish we didn't have in our life. And he uses the power and the gift of repentance and brokenness and deep surrender to begin to restore us from our broken relationships, restore us from our disappointments and even the failures of ourselves. And so the fourth thing is suddenly it comes. No one initiated this, but God says now. And it's always the same. You could, put, you, you could cast this over every move of God for the last 200 years and you'll see that's the pattern of God. That's just how it works. And he starts with his own house, especially those who are listening. First thing I want you to notice, I'm, I'm going to whiz fast through this because the best part's coming. The Spirit of God is speaking again because he is about to start something. I want you to hear this very, this is my first point. The Spirit of God is speaking now, he's speaking again. Everything that is came from the mouth of God. All life all creation and he's speaking again a life into the earth Isaiah 42 verse 9 says behold the former things have come to pass and new things I declare before they spring forth I will tell you of them spring forth is a is a word for sprout you know when you're a young child and you you put some seeds in the cotton wool or you put it in a little garden and, and, and suddenly you go out one morning and boom, these leaves have come up out of these tiny seeds that you put in, in the ground and you're just amazed, you're startled that this little, and you've been watering it and bang, it sprouts. And God says, even before they sprout, I'll tell you of these things. We're talking to our people in Turkey. We've got such a tremendously beautiful, gentle move of God happening in Turkey at the moment. Brand new fellowships opening up. And, uh, and, and we're on the phone regularly with them on uh, Skype calls and on, on messenger calls and praying with them and hearing what God's doing, hearing of new people getting saved, more baptisms, more towns, more new fellowship groups opening up. And they said to us uh, uh, the night before last, they said, it's like there's these green shoots coming up out of Turkey for the first time. Isn't that exciting? I see the green shoots in the Philippines. We cannot stop the growth of the church on the island of Mindoro. Every week or two weeks, a brand new church is being born. Green shoots. Before it comes, even before they sprout. <laughs> I'm going to tell you about it. Again in Isaiah 43, I love this. Verse 18 and 19. Same prophet. Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. It will sprout. Shall you not? When I say sprout, I spit. I don't know why. It's this, it's this thing. I'm sorry. I did see a couple of little... When I was a young preacher, one Sunday in church, the youth all sat in the front row, and I thought, that's fantastic. Isn't that great? And I just got up to preach, and I all put umbrellas up. That's why they sat in the front, just to stir me for my spitting. 
oh, you know, I'll do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. You, shall you know it? Do you know it? He says, do you know it? I'll do a new thing. I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. So why am I speaking about this new thing that God is saying? And today, what's important about today? Well, today we are in a period of a 50-week time span. <clears throat> when we have Easter, it's done around the, the time of the Passover. You know, that Jesus had the Passover uh, and he, that's when we have the upper room. That's no, not, not the upper room. We have the, the, uh, the Lord's Supper as we saw it first. Can't remember what people call that. But it was a period of time. I've been a pastor for 40 years and I can't remember what they call. It doesn't matter. But from that time of Passover to Pentecost is a 50-day time. Pentecost is a Greek word which is to do with the Pente, which is 50. It's the, uh, the, the, the true Hebrew name for Pentecost is Shavuot, which is coming next Sunday is Pentecost Sunday. And from Easter until Pentecost Sunday, we have a 50-day period. That's what was on the law of God. 50 days between Passover and Pentecost. And so much happened in the scripture on those 50 days. Let me tell you what happened. There was the king, the triumphal entry, coming in on a donkey. And the people laying their clothes in the streets. A wonderful thing. The last supper with his disciples at the Passover. The trial of Jesus. The cross of Christ, the resurrection. And then 40 days that Jesus himself spent after his resurrection teaching his people for 40 days. We're going to talk about this 40 days in just a moment. We're, in that, we're at the end of that time now where he came in for 40 days, it tells us in Acts chapter 1, teaching them things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And what I want you to know about this is that this story is actually a story about surrender, brokenness, failure, restoration and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Let me explain. There is a very deep, very, very deep need in our lives and that is the need for a depth of surrender, total surrender of our life before the Lord. And the story I'm about to speak about speaks about us building desire, building desire for the fire of God in our own lives. Hosea chapter 10 verse 12, the prophet said, Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness upon you. So there's something here that God's asking us in this whole thing too. And we, be, we begin this journey as I come to it now with this verse. Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground. It is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness upon you. The conviction to live right. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Go and do the things of righteousness. Go and do righteous things among one another. Be righteous in your relationships. This is what he's asking. Get things happening in the way that you live. Live righteously. 
and, 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 in, and endeavour to build into your life a depth of mercy that he now says. Reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground for its time. Break up your fallow ground. There's, there's a couple of things that this is speaking about. Now, in, in today's world, basically farmers farm their land every year and they put their crops in every year and then they build it up with fertilisers and different ways and things to bring nutrients back into the soil. In biblical times, they used fallow, which meant every couple of years they would just give the land a complete rest. And we all know what happens when you just don't tend to land is things really grow, but it's all the things you don't want to grow. What happens in fallow ground is the things you don't want to grow grow and the things you would like to grow aren't growing at all because you haven't planted them. And so there's this time of rest. And the first thing is, when he says, break up your fallow ground, it's time to deal with barren, lethargic inactivity. Because we can be like a farm where nothing is happening. I don't know if you've driven out through country New South Wales, but you can tell the farmers who care and the farmers who don't. And you'll, you'll drive past paddock after paddock that's just thistles and weeds and, and some goats. Because goats don't mind thistles and weeds. And then you come to this farm where someone really cares and the productivity is just amazing. You just see, you just see endless fields of product and, and uh, fruitfulness. It says, break up your fallow ground because it's time to break the fruitlessness. And, and we know when we feel, we all know this. Let's, honestly, I know when I've been in a fallow time and there's just a bit of fruitlessness there. And he's saying, break it up. The second thing is, root out the weeds get the weeds out because these weeds that grow have the desire to be the harvest of your life Whew. so it's a bit it's a bit strong here i'm going to get i'm going to lighten up in a minute <laughs> uh, the third thing was plow up the barren ground and reoxygenate when the oxygen can get down into the earth and they turn over the ground, the only reason they turn it over and bring the plows through and break up that land, and you see those massive big disc plows. I get, I get astonished. I, I visited a friend of mine from Kyabram, who now lives out in western New South Wales, and, and he was down in the shed looking after the tractor. I walked into the shed and I went... And then I saw the top of the wheels. <laughs> and, and the plows on the back of it... And it in and out like this and when it's folded out it's like 10 meters across and these huge and they break up the ground so that they get the oxygen back into the ground and when we re-oxygenate when we re-oxygenate and breathe the life-giving spirit of God back into our life we do this when we pray we do this when we get alone with God we do this when we're in the secret place and we're saying yes to God I promise you for everything you lay down he blows something mighty in its place he really does. For everything we turn over before God and hand over to God, he just brings the oxygenation of the Spirit of God back into our life. Makes it alive again by the Spirit. So here we go. You ready? We're in these in-between days, the days between the Passover, the Passover where we celebrate the being set free by the blood of the Lamb, which is the picture from the Word of God when they actually started Passover when they were set free by the blood of the lamb on the doorposts and lintels and God released them out of Egypt and they came into their promised land. They were free. That's what 
the whole meaning of Passover was. We're in that time frame now, the 50 days, physically now today, on the 28th or whatever it is, 29th. What day is it today? 29, is it? Oh, well, whatever it is. 29th of, what month is it? May. Okay. I'm, I'm really dumb sometimes. I know what I'm wanting to say, but sometimes the facts get in the way a little bit. Don't let the facts get in the way of a good story. That's what I always say. And looking towards the mighty fire of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 11 and 12, John the Baptist said, I baptize you with water for repentance, but the one who's coming after me is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. He wants to separate the living harvest from the useless chaff. And so it is even now. And so when Jesus comes, the one who will baptise with the Spirit and with fire, he'll separate the living harvest that's in us from the useless chaff that's in us. And he will baptise us in the Holy Ghost. So I want to talk about now these two 40-day time frames. Firstly, we see Jesus at the birth of a mighty church movement that he started. Where was Jesus at the start of his ministry that launched his kingdom on earth? He was 40 days and nights in a wilderness. That's where we find him. He will baptise you with the spirit and fire. We know that when, he was, when Jesus was baptised by John the Baptist, it says, and the, and the heavens parted. Heavens were rent open and the Spirit came down like a dove and rested on him. And John's Gospel said, and remained upon him. And a voice from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And immediately then in Matthew 4, 1, he, the Spirit took him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Where was the beginning of this movement that Jesus started? It was found in this wilderness place. Yep. 40 days of agony, of hunger, attack, accusation, temptation, until he resisted every form of attack and temptation that Satan could throw at him. That's where he was. There was an attack on his identity, attack on his ability to resist, all of the attractions that Satan ran before him and he withstood it. I have a friend called Steve Addison who's coming here to the Hunter Valley in a couple of weeks' time. One of the most wonderful men of God I've ever met. He's written a number of books about movements and the kingdom of God. This is, this is his words. I want to read his words here. At the birth of the Christian movement, we don't find its founder, Jesus, in the temple at Jerusalem, impressing the scholars with his learning and piety, we don't find him at the head of crowds of supporters who are impressed by his power to heal the sick and cast out devils. He's not wooing kings and governors. At the birth of the Christian movement, Jesus is alone in a wilderness place, hungry, thirsty and weary from a battle with Satan. Jesus, the obedient son, was waiting alone in the presence of his father, humble, dependent, 
broken, needy. Every support had been taken away. Every consolation was gone. It was only the cost of obedience, abandonment, and the horrifying prospect of the cross which was before him. It was in this place of desolation that Jesus' true identity and call was tested. I believe this with all of my heart. I believe this with all of my heart. This was the Spirit took him there for this purpose. In this place of desolation, Jesus' true identity and call were tested. Instead of taking the path to stamp out and take charge of his own destiny, he chose instead the path of obedience and triumphed over the tempter, thus leading the way for all of us who follow. Here is the foundation stone that he laid for the Christian movement, the heart of Jesus, surrendered to his Father. Jesus was founded and satisfied in his Father's love and purpose. All else was forsaken. And an angel came and strengthened him. Forty days of stripping off all but the surrender and obedience and the love of his Father. And that is because before he became our mighty victorious saviour, he became an obedient son. Who God said at his baptism when the spirit came on him, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now we switch to another 40 day time period where Jesus is at the centre. Having done all of this victory over the powers of Satan and temptation, Now we see Jesus enter another 40 days of ministry to people who had the reverse order of things. They had started in experiencing all of the glory of Jesus in his ministry, the the miracles, the power, the things that happened. And they failed on every level before they even started. And Jesus had to deal with this, so he spent... Another 40 days of encounter. This time he was the resurrected saviour. The almighty God, the conqueror, living conqueror over death and hell. Now he was sent out to help those broken and unfaithful people that he'd led to himself. In Acts chapter 1, reading through verse 1 through 5, we read this. And you're probably like me until... Early this week, I hadn't really considered this until I thought of this message. Here, Luke is the writer. The former account I made, O Theophilus. Theophilus might have been a person, but probably this word word means beloved of God. So they've used the, the, the name Theophilus, but I think he's writing to the beloved of God. So, O beloved of God. Of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day in which he was taken up and through the Holy Spirit had given commands to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he presented himself alive after his sufferings by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days and speaking to them the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Being assembled together, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. Now, Listen to, listen to these things. This is where we are. This is all about the victorious Christ and the fire of his kingdom. He came leading the disciples, his followers, 
towards Pentecost. And what did he need to deal with? He needed to deal with the fact that they all, at his trial and his crucifixion, the Bible says they all forsook him and fled. They had been in their trial and their temptation and they failed. Do you know how that feels? You know what that's like? We know what this is like. What I'm going to speak to now, he needed to lead them through their own brokenness to be ready to take on the power that he himself operated in. He needed to heal them. Peter, with his denials, swearing against Jesus. Jesus had said of him, Satan has desired you that he may sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you that your faith will not fail and when you've returned to me, strengthen your brethren. And Simon said to him, Lord, I'm, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you've denied me three times that you know me. What a bunch of broken people. You see Thomas, doubtful unbelief. They all forsook him and fled. They were broken, divided, scattered bunch of individuals. Imagine their brokenness and failure to stand against temptation and persecution and stay true to believe, to understand. Now they were scattered. Jesus was preparing them, cleansing them, restoring them, forgiving them, preparing them for the power and the fire for 40 days. Mm. I wonder if we're not like those followers of Jesus sometimes. And when we talk about the fire of God coming, is it possible that we also ourselves need the Lord to start to do some healing in our own unbelief? I was listening to Bill Johnson the other day and he was talking about when he took over the church at Reading in California. Suddenly a move of God started. Over here in the church, a woman who's been in a wheelchair for 38 years stood up from her wheelchair completely healed. Miracles started to happen in the church and at the same time 1,000 people left. Good people left. And he tried to talk to them, what's going on? They said, we, we, we just can't live up to this, Pastor. I watched Bill with tears rolling down his cheeks. We just can't live up to this, Pastor. We'd love to come and hear all the stuff, but when it confronts us in the face, when it's time for the outpouring on us, look at us. We can't live up to it. Well, we know what happened and he didn't leave those people behind because in, in real terms he desired them to come into the fullness of the spirit but what was launched and what it tells us about our own brokenness is sometimes a lot of people do miss out Jesus didn't want anyone to miss out when you read the account in 1 Corinthians Paul said he died for us according to the scripture. He was buried and rose again on the third day according to the scripture then he was seen by Peter and all the disciples after that, after he rose, seen by Peter, all the disciples, then seen by 500 plus brethren at the same time, of whom most are still alive to this day. I don't mean this day today, but Paul's day. And he was seen by James and then all the apostles, and last of all, he was seen by me. We don't know exactly what Jesus taught them through those 40 days. We don't know exactly how much all of them were healed. What we do know that he taught them the things pertaining to the kingdom of God and he turned that bunch 
of broken individuals into united body for Christ. Who we see now in Acts chapter 2 from verse 1 that they became people of one mind and one spirit and one judgment and one voice. It says, and on the day of Pentecost, when it fully came, they were all in one accord in one place and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a sound of a mighty rushing wind and filled the house where they were sitting and there appeared on them tongues of fire sat upon each one of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with new tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I don't know what he taught them through those 40 days. But the same as the 40 days brought him down to his brokenness and obedience, this 40 days turned them into restored and powerful individuals ready for the fire of God. And I see that Jesus still today walks this same way with us when he wants to do a moving of his spirit. Yes, he sure does. It's because of the words that are in the scripture. Every time the Bible said the spirit fell upon them, especially say with Cornelius' house, these were all Greek Gentiles. It says, and the Holy Spirit fell on them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and all spoke with other tongues. This word fell upon them, epipipto, is a beautiful word. The only other time apart from here in Acts that it's used is in the parable of Jesus. When he spoke about a prodigal son who went and took and lost all of his inheritance, threw it away on a dreadful life and he came to his senses and said, I'll go back to my dad's house and see if I can just be one of his servants. And the Bible says his father saw him a long way off. And his father ran to him and fell upon him and kissed him, fell upon him, epipipto. You know what this word means when the Bible says the Holy Spirit fell upon them? It's the loving embrace of a father. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon his people, what we don't understand is this is just full of the goodness of God. This is the Father pouring the goodness and the likeness and the power of heaven into our lives. Now, when you walk out of here today, I hope you're going to walk out like people who are carrying something really, really precious. gives you away this person's carrying something precious this word that I've given you today I hope and pray it's been something precious that you've been waiting for because one thing I know as sure as next Sunday is coming our own Pentecost is coming and a move of God is on its way I'd love to pray for you. Let's stand. I've gone just a couple of minutes over. I sped up as much as I could. <laughs> I don't think you're too worried about that. How would you like to reach out your hands, especially if you're responding? Tonight I'm going to speak about hands, and I think it might touch some lives. But anyway, we'll see what happens. <sighs> reach out your hands to him. 
if you really want to respond to this message. I want all brokenness to fall off my life, Lord Jesus. I want all of my failures, anger things or whatever it may be, impatience, unpleasantness towards others and the way I just don't respect my brothers and sisters in Christ. The way that I walk, I want to break up the fallow ground of my heart. Lord, I don't want the weeds anymore. I don't want the inactivity anymore and the barrenness that I feel right down in my soul the way that I feel when I let you down when I fail when I yield to temptation and have to keep coming back broken Lord I wanted this dealt with in my life because what I really seek is the moving of your spirit starting with me starting with me. play with but there was these trees all the way to our school and they were just loaded and loaded with millions of these seeds that were shaped exactly like propellers like the propellers off an aeroplane and you could just literally grab a bunch and they just all come out in your hand hundreds of them and you blow you give a mighty blow and they fly out of your hand you don't know where they're going to land because those propellers just took off wherever they wanted to and that's the whole purpose of them, to spread that seed. And I honestly really believe that God's been blowing seeds all over us here to this morning. He's blowing the seeds of his calling and his desire, of what's coming, of what his voice is into the future, of what God's about to do. And I see seeds of this landing on you, carried by the Spirit who blows where he will and he's blowing in this place this morning. Blow it over us, Lord, we pray, what you're saying to us. In the mighty name of Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you for listening. We hope you have enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit mccroylifechurch.com.au.